Uh, my call to worship uh, this afternoon will be from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Starting with verse 31 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 8, 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not <clears throat> with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who make, also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As, is, as it is written, for your sake we, <clears throat> we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, <clears throat> nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, amen. So let's <clears throat> worship the Lord now. We'll start with hymn number 607 in the blue hymnal. Hymn number 607, He Hideth My Soul. Let us stand and sing.
This afternoon will be Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, Lord, we come with thankful hearts. You've been so kind and gracious to us today. You have met us here in the first worship service. You have given us a help to worship you. You have given our pastor help as he preached the word to preach it clearly and with unction. And Father, I pray the same for this afternoon. Father, we've had a good meal. We've got our bellies full, which makes our eyelids heavy, Lord, the sun coming in. So we do ask that your Holy Spirit, once again, help us to worship you. Help us to be attentive to the preaching of the word. Help our pastor as he opens the word to us this afternoon. Father, it is our desire to worship you in spirit and truth. It's our desire to be more like Christ. And we know that the preaching of the word is the means to that end. So, Father, help us. We pray that when we leave here today that you will have been pleased with the worship we received here at Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, and we just ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our next hymn before the pastor comes is hymn number 447, hymn number 447, Jesus, I Am Resting, and once again, let us stand and sing this hymn. Love 
passage in Philippians, and I'll ask Richard to read the, uh, the main text. I'm not preaching on that whole text, as you know. I'm only preaching on verse 6 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7, but for the sake of context, we read from verse 1 to 7. So the title of my message this Afternoon is be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, the last time we were in this text, which was two weeks ago, we considered Paul's words uh, from verse 4 to verse 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In the context of what Paul writes is always important for us to remember. It's important for us to know why Paul is writing what he's writing. And we have already established that he's writing to a church that is besieged and beset by trouble. Uh, Judaizers had crept into the church and the Judaizer heresy was making an impact on the believers and it was affecting the unity of the body and it was really drawing the eyes of people away from the gospel. And so really what Paul is doing here is in these last verses in chapter 4 as he draws his letter to a close is he's applying the gospel very practically. He is applying the gospel to the areas where the manifestations of the flesh are clearly 
being seen. He's showing the Philippians how the flesh and boasting in the flesh, which is what the law-based gospel produces, how that brings disunity. It brings an elitism. It causes contentions. It causes disputations and pride and boasting. The gospel, on the other hand, produces humility and it produces like-mindedness. It brings joy because it, it rests by faith in Christ who is in control of all things. It is by grace and so it produces a gentle spirit, a humble spirit. When we fight and judge one another, we're in danger of God dealing with us. For Paul says the Lord is at hand. So these are the practical things that Paul is dealing with. And he's doing the counseling that this church needs in a very Christ-centered and gospel-orientated way. So Paul continues in his practical gospel exhortation to deal with the issue of anxiety. He's dealing with the issue of anxiety. And really anxiety is really the result of unbelief. Anxiety is a clear manifestation of walking and thinking in a very carnal and a fleshly way. We, we see that somewhat in what I preached on this morning about building the house. Unless the Lord does the building, the laborers labor in vain, right? And when we think of anxiety, anxiety is really the work of the flesh. It is not the fruit of faith in Christ. And really, anxiety has its root cause in unbelief. But it's also a manifestation of pride. Because we want to control things. And when things are not going our way, we become anxious. We become discombobulated. So pride is very much part of anxiety. Pride is very much a result of wanting to be independent and self-sufficient. And Paul is dealing with this because this is what the law produces. When you come under a gospel law mix, this is what it produces. The manifestation of the works of the flesh. So we've already seen in this chapter how Paul is addressing this. He, he's spoken of his love for the Philippians brethren. Even though some were distancing themselves from him, he reminds them of how much he loves them. And, and he exhorts them. He, he tells them, you're off gospel ground. You're not having the same mind. You're divided amongst one another. You're squabbling and there's, 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 there's disunity amongst you. And it's because you're not fixed on Christ. And the evidence of that was... Yodi and Syntyche, and I made the point, it's not necessarily that Yodi and Syntyche were fighting with one another. It's just that their mindset was one where they were acting carnally and they weren't trusting the Lord. He reminds them of their labor in the gospel with them and their reward in Christ. That they are found in the book of life as they trust in Christ. He reminds them that their circumstances, no matter what they were, no, whatever the determining factor was, was not what ultimately should affect their joy in the Lord. Because it's in the Lord. He reminds them of the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. 
And they had lost that and were in danger of the Lord dealing with them. So, coming to this text now, thinking about this text, what Paul is now doing is he's showing us how gospel trust and obedience, resting in Christ, manifests itself in a very important aspect of our Christian life, and that is prayer. That is prayer. Prayer is born of a heart of faith in God. And prayer is a wonderful panacea. It's a wonderful antidote to anxiety. He also touches on the rewards and the blessings that are Every child of God's who seeks God's face above all. So we'll deal with these verses and then we'll make some applications. Before we do that, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your kindness. We ask you, please, to help us to trust you. We pray for your Spirit's guidance and grace. And we pray that you would glorify your name in our response. Lord, though we may be tired and our bellies may be full, we pray that you would give us receptive hearts and that you, through your Spirit's help, would make us alert. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my first point from my message this afternoon is, do not be anxious, be in prayer. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is a wonderful motivation for us to pray, isn't it? Paul is stirring us on and provoking us to pray. And he's showing us how practical prayer is. How the gospel gives rise to prayer. It really is an expression of gospel Faithfulness. Think about this text. Be anxious for nothing. The King James translates this phrase, be careful for nothing. The English Standard Version says, do not be anxious about anything. When we look at the Greek, the literal rendering of the text is, for nothing be anxious. For nothing be anxious. And when Paul said to the Philippians that they were to rejoice always, he was making it clear there is no reason for the Christian not to be able to rejoice, especially if his hope is in the Lord. He gave that word to them in the present act of imperative, which means the Christian ought always to be rejoicing. The more you think upon God and the more you think about your hope in God, the more joy it should produce in your heart. Well, when we come to this phrase, be, for nothing be anxious... Again, it's a phrase that is given in the present active imperative. The same thing. It literally means we are to never be anxious. In nothing be anxious. Now when we think about the word anxious, it's helpful to understand what we mean. To be anxious literally means to be burdened. To be weighed down. To be worried. To have angst, to fret, it is a condition, a human response that is 
from the flesh. It's a natural response to all of us. It's not something we have to learn. It just happens. We become worried. We become burdened, right? And so, whatever our reality is, if we're turning in on ourselves and we're not looking to God, we will be anxious. Again, the reason why we should always rejoice, as Paul said early on, is the same reason why we should never be anxious. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 Remember the words Jesus spoke to his disciples. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And anxiety and worry and fretfulness at its heart as I said early on, is rooted in unbelief. And let me say this, friends, in reality and practically speaking, it is an expression of practical atheism. Someone once said, and I have said it before and quoted it before from this pulpit, that if you want to know what's inside of a Christian, squeeze them. And when the pressures of life bear upon you, what is inside is going to come out. Right? And so I want to say to you, beloved, that we can pay lip service all, the, all we like to trust in God. But when the rubber hits the asphalt, what is our response? Do we run around like chickens with our heads off? Do we phone 50 people and talk to as many people as we can? Or do we take it to the Lord in prayer? Do we run to our Heavenly Father? And it's really practical atheism at the heart of it. It's really an evidence of unbelief. We're not trusting God. And that's why Paul is so emphatic here. I mean, think about this word. Just let the, the word of it, you know, you don't even have to look at the, the Greek, but just the impact of what, what's been said here in the English is, it should be enough. In nothing be anxious. In nothing be anxious. Really, beloved, when we're anxious, it's a denial of the sovereignty of God. Just as much as joylessness is a denial of the sovereignty of God and a denial of the goodness of God. And both of these, joylessness and anxiousness or fretfulness, both of these are the enemy of faith and the mockery of the goodness of God. They provoke God. I've again said this often from the pulpit, but I remember one man saying, I can't remember where I read it, but he said, there are two things that amaze me. And they never stop amazing me. The first is that God loves me. That is amazing. And the second is that we believe him so little. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. 
Spurgeon has a little devotion. I don't know if most of you, I think, might know about it. You all know about mornings and evenings. But I don't know if you know about his little devotion called the Checkbook of Faith, or Faith Checkbook. The whole idea behind that devotional is that God's promises are like bank guaranteed checks. Have you ever heard someone say you can take that to the bank? That's a bank guaranteed check. And this text really underscores the importance of it. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. God is not a liar. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. I don't know how anyone could read the Bible and come to the conclusion that God is detached from His creation. I don't know how anyone could come to a a deistic view of God. That God is just standing at a distance watching us while we live our lives. Nothing could be further from the truth. Do you understand? Young person, little child, young boys, as you're sitting there in the pew, do you understand these beautiful words that God is saying to you? God cares for you. He cares for you. And so Paul is clear, in nothing be anxious. And it is the, in the present imperative active, which means it is to be your ongoing habit and practice. You are to pre- replace anxiety with trust and faith. It must be evident in your life that you are trusting the Lord and resting in Christ. This is a manifestation of a gospel mindset. This is what was missing with the likes of Syntyche and Yodia. But the question arises, well then, if that is true and we are to always be trusting God and not be anxious, how do we combat that? How do we combat worry? How do we combat concern and anxiety and fretfulness in our lives when it is so natural for us to do this? How do we die to this practical atheism in our lives that is so present within us? Well, the answer is really simple. Like most things in the Bible, the answer is really simple. The problem is with us. We don't like the answers because they're that simple. Because we're looking for excuses. Well, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So think about this. Let's put this together logically. Paul boasts from in nothing, in no circumstances, in no trial, in no fretfulness, be anxious. In nothing. To the next thing he says is, in everything. In everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You have two columns set before you. You have nothing and you have everything. And there's no in between. Right? And there's no hybrid in this. In nothing. Be anxious. Be clear about that. You are not to be anxious. In everything. Everything. Right? Prayer and supplication 
with thanksgiving. Make your needs and your requests known to God. This is the gospel way, friends. This is the way of faith. This is the putting off of the flesh and the putting on of Christ. This is what it means to make no provision for the flesh. To put on Christ Jesus. The work of the flesh in this case. Anxiety, worry, being burdened, fretfulness. Are manifestations of the flesh as I said to you. To the putting on of the fruit of the spirit. It is it is the act of faith in casting our burdens and our cares onto Jesus because he cares for us. I have a question. You have a problem. You have a burden. Something that's weighing you down. Who are you going to call? You're going to call someone who doesn't care about you? No. I shared with you that recently my daughter was in a wreck. First person she called was her dad. Right? Why? Because I care for her. And what a blessing to know that God cares for you. And if you're convinced of that, if you're convinced of that, you'll run to God. You'll call out upon Him. You'll seek His face. Because He cares for you. But you know what, beloved, the question is, do we take every situation, every burden, every aspect of our lives, do we turn it over to the Lord? No, we don't. And again, it comes down to practical atheism and it comes down to pride because very often we think that we can take care of ourselves better than God can. And how many times do we have to learn that that doesn't work for us ever? The way we combat anxiety is we pray. We pray. But in everything by prayer and supplication. And when he uses the word prayer and supplication, all he's doing is he's giving us both sides to prayer. He's using prayer in the general sense. It includes worship, confession and adoration and thanksgiving. Sometimes when we're in dire need and we're stressed and we're burdened, the best thing to do is just worship God to get your eyes off of yourself. To thank God for His many blessings. Isn't it amazing how often when you do that, your life all of a sudden takes on a sweeter hue. Things don't look so bleak anymore. Because you realize, hey, hang on, God is actually for me. And God has been providing for me. And God has had his hand on me all the time. Yeah, things are bad, but they could be a whole lot worse. Because God is on my side. And even the bad things are actually for my good. So in prayer, and then he talks about supplication. Every need, every need. That's why Jesus teaches us, friends, that we are... To ask God for our daily bread. The food we eat. The clothes we wear. The circumstances we find ourselves in. Whether they're in our control. So called. Or out of our control. And so Paul is clear. Rejoice always. In nothing be anxious. In everything by prayer and supplication. 
Always, nothing, everything. These are contrasts, right? And they're powerful reminders. Past Wednesday, I spoke out of Mark chapter 1, verse 35. I spoke on the prayer life of our Lord Jesus. And I was struck once again, beloved, how the Lord Jesus' life was lived by faith from the Father. And that faith was practically seen in his prayer life. His whole life on earth was a life of prayer. If anyone did not need to pray, could it not arguably be said that Jesus did not need to pray? Because he was God himself, very God. But you see, when Jesus came into this world as the Son of Man, he came as the second Adam. And he lived by faith, trusting in his Father. And he lived in the power of the Spirit. That meant that he was a man of prayer because the Spirit of God blesses prayer. And in summation of our Lord Jesus' prayer life, we have these powerful words said to us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 to 9, where we read, we read, who in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Jesus learned in every way to trust in the Father, in every way to submit and subject everything to his Father in prayer. There are times in the New Testament where you don't know what Jesus has prayed, but you just know that the Father is answering him. That he's already prayed something and the Father is answering him and he's giving the answer. And I do want to say to you, beloved, I believe from the Apostle Paul and from the New Testament, this is the most effective antidote. This is the most effective weapon against unbelief. And this is the way to deal with practical atheism in our hearts. You see, atheism, unbelief in God, really rises up out of our souls when we're looking at ourselves and we're not looking at God. Because when we look at ourselves, all we see is weakness. All we see is ineffectiveness. All we see is impotency. And there's no hope there. But when we lift our eyes up to God, then we realize that nothing is impossible with God. Listen to what the scripture bears witness to regarding these things. And I'm going to read to you a slew of scriptural texts, Bible texts. Isaiah chapter 62 verse 8 says this, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then we know this one, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6. Many of us have memorized this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own things which you do not know. Matthew 7 verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
And finally, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes this to the believers in Ephesus, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful of this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so Paul is very specific here. Praying with supplication, with thanksgiving. We cannot come to God and we won't with an ungrateful spirit. When we, are, when we grumble and we complain, we are acting in the flesh. And what that does is it manifests that we are not trusting in God. And that severs the root of faith. But when we come humbly and we are grateful, we can come expectantly. Scripture makes it very clear that true prayer will always be accompanied with thanksgiving. When you think about what God has done for you, when you think about who God is for you, how can you not be grateful? How can you not be thankful? And yet, beloved, is it not amazing how many of us live such ungrateful lives? And you know what it really ought to scream at us is you're not thinking about God. You're thinking about yourself. But when you think about what God has done for you and how God has loved you and how God has provided for you and how God watches over you, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. We've just learned you may have all the watchmen on the wall 24-7 and if God is not for you, <laughs> and I'm only going to protect you. can be so thankful to God and I cannot see how a truly prayerful spirit cannot be thankful and grateful to God. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 shows how prayer and thanksgiving are two sides of the same coin. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So beloved, here is a little practical thing. Maybe it's Christianity 101 and it doesn't need to be said or repeated, but let me say it anyway. You don't know what the will of God for your life is. Quite simply, the scripture says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pastor, you don't know what trials and troubles I'm going through. You don't know what difficult. I'm dealing with this individual. I'm dealing with this situation. I'm dealing with that. And, and you just, you don't get it. Oh, well, God does. And God's answer is in everything, give thanks. In everything through prayer and supplication, giving thanks. There has to be this thankfulness it permeates our prayers, friends. Otherwise, I can honestly say that our prayers are not sincere. Our prayers are not sincere. Now, maybe we could be honest, to, and we should be honest with God and say, I don't know how to thank you for this, God. Last week, I, I, I read the story about Spurgeon with his gout. He hadn't yet got to the point where he could give thanks for the gout. Which meant in his mind that he still had a long way to go in sanctification. And you may say that to God. I don't know how to give thanks to you. But help me. I want to thank you. 
I want to be grateful. That's an honest, earnest, heartfelt plea. And I really believe God will show you. He will show you. And so it is with a humble, grateful heart that Paul says that we are to let all our requests be made known to God. Once again, in the light of what Paul is saying, this is a great encouragement. This is a great weapon. Think of what he says in Ephesians. He says, when you have done all to stand, stand and pray, pray. But notice next what Paul does. He shows us how when we trust in God and rest in Christ and pray and we thank God and we have a thankful spirit, thanking him for every providence. What does God do for us? Well, he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He builds the house. He guards the city, right? We learned that today. I just want to remind you as I go into the next part of this is that remember where Paul is writing from. This is no ivory tower theologian. Paul is chained to centurion. He's under house arrest. There's every possibility that a verdict may be passed down and he may be executed. So this is not, this is not pie in the sky for the Apostle Paul. This is something that Paul is seeing as evidence of the gospel lived out in his life. Because the next thing Paul says is this, that God gives us the gift of peace in Christ Jesus. If we pray, if we trust him, in every circumstances, in nothing being anxious, but in everything with prayer, God gives us his peace. He does. Look at what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. What do you need, friends? In turmoil. What do you need? When the breakers of life come crashing down upon you. I've been caught in breakers before where I thought I was going to drown. And anyone who's done any kind of diving will tell you the worst problem that you can face in a crisis situation is panic. If you panic, you die. When we are in these trials... We need the peace of God. We need the peace of God. And this is the first and the greatest gift that God gives to us when we believe upon Christ. The first thing we receive is we receive peace with God. But Paul tells us in a very practical and gospel way that that peace comes to us in prayer. In prayer. The more we lay hold of God, the more we seek His face, the more we walk in His peace. Listen to what Isaiah 26 verse 3 says. It's a verse that many of you love. But think of it in this practical gospel way as the result of prayer. Isaiah 26 verse 3. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, who trusts in you. Forge that verse together. With the act of prayer. The peace of God that Paul speaks of 
that peace that comes from knowing God. But more than that, friends, but more than that. I spoke about this last Sunday afternoon. It comes from the peace of having access to God. Some of you have cried out and called out to someone who you know cares for you and you, you can't reach them. For some reason the line is busy or they're unavailable. That's kind of hope deferred, isn't it? And you're still anxious. I need to speak to somebody. I need to speak to somebody who cares for me. And you can't get a hold of someone who cares for you. And you, you're still filled with anxiety. Because you don't have access to it. We always have access to God. That's where the peace comes from, having access to God. That is why we have to walk in such a way that we do not grieve the Spirit. Because when we grieve the Spirit and we don't have access to God, it does not go well with us, friends. Remember what Romans 5 verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into what? This grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peace and joy. Paul says this in Romans 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. In the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy are the fruit of the Spirit produced and manifested in a life of obedience and submission to God in a prayerful life. What an antidote. What a panacea to the anxiety and the worry. This is the means by which we crucify the flesh, friends. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of the cross. This is how we put on Christ Jesus every day and give no provision to the flesh. But you know what's amazing about this? There's one thing that Paul says, and this is what blows my mind as I think about what Paul writes. Paul doesn't just reach the, 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 the pinnacle, he, he just goes to a crescendo. He just, he goes further than that. He says it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. This is a peace that you and I cannot understand. It surpasses all understanding. It's divine. It's out of this world. It's insurpassable. It's utterly unique. It is nothing that you could ever find in this world. It's a peace, but it's a confidence. It's a humility. It's a joyfulness. Look how Paul writes in the beginning of this epistle. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What should I choose? 
This is what he's talking about. This is the peace of being stayed upon Christ. Your mind being stayed upon Christ. This is the peace of seeing and the joy of seeing that in all of this chaos, God is working at something so glorious and so magnificent. I can't even begin to comprehend, but it excites my soul. It is what God has promised to give his children when they seek his face. You know, the only place this is used, this surprising understanding, the only other place in the New Testament is used is in Ephesians. Where Paul is describing the indescribable love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Do you remember what he says in Ephesians 3.19? He's praying that the Holy Spirit would strengthen us in our inner man so that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, the dimensionless love of Christ and is beyond comprehension. To know the love of Christ, he says, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the same word that is used of this peace. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding, friends. It is the same kind of peace that is found in the saints as they were burning at the stake for their faith and they were singing psalms. And what is glorious about this peace is that this peace is not just some some erythral thing, some kind of nebulous thing out there. No, it's very real and it's very practical because Paul goes on and he says, it will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you, I don't know about you, but I can say this. One of my biggest concerns about standing in times of trial, I've often thought, what happens if I had to stand for my faith and I had to face death for my faith? Would I be able to stand? And I'm, I'm somewhat fearful of that. In my flesh, I know how weak it is. Many of you know of Richard Wurmbrandt, who's persecuted for his faith, spent many years in jail for his faith in Christ. Testimony is told by this man of how they were tortured and beaten and all kinds of psychological games were played on them that they didn't even know if the up was down or down was up. They were so confused. And they were so beyond comprehension of what was going on. And this man testified to a peace that surpasses all understanding that guarded his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. Because if it's up to the arm of human flesh, your mind will fail. Your mind will fail. You will go insane. You will not be able to stand and endure that persecution, that terrible, awful persecution that someone inflicts upon you. And Paul is telling us from experience, this peace that God gives you is a centennial. It is a God that is beyond understanding. It will guard your heart and your mind. You can count on it. It is unique. There is nothing like it. You can trust God here. Men will lose their minds 
when they suffer persecution and see their loved ones murdered in front of them. But if you are trusting in Christ, He will keep you. And there are so many testimonies of saints who have seen their loved ones murdered in front of them and still they rested in Christ and they trusted in Him. That's really what Paul is praying. If you go right back to the chapter, chapter 1. It says this in chapter 1 verse 12. Actually, if we go on. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. Paul understands. I don't want to bring shame to Christ. And he's telling us the peace of God is so real and so powerful and so unique and so out of this world. It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. My friends, the scripture says the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's not a motto. You know, put that on a bumper sticker. That's reality. That's reality if you and I trust in the Lord. These are the wonderful fruits of the Spirit that are produced by life, lived by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to see, you want to realize this, friends. You don't want to miss this. He's very specific here. There's no other way this comes to you. But through Christ Jesus. Death can really shake us to the core. Because death shows us how fragile we are and how mortal we are. Humanly speaking. And when we trust in Christ, there is a peace that is so glorious and so wonderful that even in the face of death, we will not be robbed of, but rather we will rejoice. But friends, the reality is our, need, our hearts need protecting. We are so prone to wonder. We are so prone to leave the, the God we love. We are so prone to do it. That's why we must keep ourselves in the love of Christ. That's why we must be pray, praying for ourselves, praying for one another, praying with thanksgiving. Why, friends? Because we are on the battlefield. And the enemy has zeroed us in and he is dropping mortars around us all, all the time. And if we're not keeping close accounts with Christ, one of those pieces of shrapnel can get into our heart and cause us such damage. We're dealing with eternal matters.
these believers in Philippi were in great trouble because they had taken the eyes of Christ and they were no longer seeking to live their lives through Jesus Christ alone. And all throughout this epistle, Paul is highlighting how these things were manifesting themselves. Pride, squabbling, fighting, lovelessness. They were not being gentle. They were being very ungracious with one another. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, come back to Christ. Come back to Christ. Listen to his thinking again, friends. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our Lord Jesus said the words to his disciples because he saw that they were burdened and laid down weighed down by many trials and tribulations. And he said, come to me and take my yoke upon you, for I will give you rest. Learn from me and you will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. Are you resting in Christ? May God help you to rest in Him. May God help you to take every thought captive. May God give you grace to lay hold of the Son of God and not let go of Him. And to be willing, as Paul said earlier on in chapter 3, I count all things but rubbish, rubbish, that I may know Christ, that I may be found in Him. Amen. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words from the Apostle Paul that we are to be anxious in nothing but all in all things prayer and supplication and that with thanksgiving we are to make our needs and our requests known to you and Lord you have promised us that your peace that surpasses all understanding that your insurpassable unique out of this world peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus oh Lord how fickle our hearts are Lord we pray that you teach us never to trust our hearts. But we pray that you would guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. 
pray that there are any here who do not know you, do not know your son, that, oh Lord, they would realize that they have no protection in this world and that they will be swept away unless they are found in Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and we pray for the help of your spirit to apply these words to our lives. In Jesus' name.